someone once said that David saw the bait, but he didn't see the treble hooks. That's kind of how it is, isn't it? We see the thing that allures us and pulls us away, but we don't see the hooks. But yet there was another sin that angered God almost more than Bathsheba. You see, David went and he had some needing to go off to battle, and the Bible says that he numbered the troops. Yes, you say, well, why would that anger God? Well, when you think about it, not to, you know, sin is sin in God's eyes. Uh, no, there's no big sin, no little sin. But, but one was an issue of weakness, an issue of failure on his, on his side. Okay, he saw the woman, he lusted after her, he, he, he chased after her, he did all kind of things to obtain her. It had to do with the weakness in his, his flesh, and at that point the flesh was stronger than his spirit. Which one's the strongest? Well, which one are you feeding? Whatever you're feeding is what becomes stronger. I, I, I told my wife this week, I said, man, I, I normally go to bed about midnight, I guess. And, uh, man, it seems like, you know, during this time of prayer and fasting, man, about 830, I'm just done. I'm like, roll me to the bed and throw me in. Because you're not feeding it. It's not, it, you're in, and therefore it's weak. Whatever you're feeding is what's going to become strong. But now my spiritual man right now has a whole different level of strength. And so at that point, David was feeding the one more than the other. Now, now here's the thing that upset God. Well, see, David was overcome by the lust of the flesh, and he failed. But now when he numbered the troops, he doubted God. Yes. See, one was he doubted his ability, and he failed. But then over here, he doubts God. You say, what, what, what do you mean? Well, yes, David was the shepherd boy who was all tended to the sheep. And the children of Israel was at battle with the Philistines, and his daddy sent this little shepherd boy out to the battlefield to bring some cheese and bread to his brothers that were fighting. And when he shows up, all the army of Israel is hiding in the tents. And the king is in the tent. And he's hiding. He's shaking in his boots, shaking in his armor. But David shows up and there's this big old Philistine out there. He'd come out several times a day and he would curse God. David comes out there as a little shepherd boy, and he sees that, and it just angers him. And he says, what's going on here? Why are you going to stand there and let this uncircumcised Philistine curse the name of Yahweh? And, uh, well, everybody's too scared to do it, so David says, I'll go take care of it. So David goes out there, and he begins to fight the battle. And they put Saul's armor on him, and he's just a-clanking around. And, I mean, he, he's just like a marble in a matchbox, and... In, in David's, in Saul's armor. So as he's going out there, he lays all the strength, all the, the advancements of artillery and weaponry and, and shields aside. He puts down the strength and the might and the success of man. And he reaches down and he picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his little shepherd's bag and takes his slingshot. It really aggravated the Philistines so much that he says, who do you think I am, a dog? That you come out here with rocks and sticks and stones to, 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 to fight me? Am I a dog to you? He said, sir, I come out here in the name of Lord God 
host of the tribes of Israel, and today he will deliver you into my hands. Now think about that for a moment. This guy's huge. I mean, ginormous. And here's a little shepherd boy. Probably reaches him about his kneecaps. And there he is. And man, he just takes that one little stone, went in that sling, and it went round and round and round. And boom, before you know it, the giant's conquered. Where is the shepherd boy? And it broke God's heart that the boy who had so much faith that he could pick up five smooth stones and go out there and conquer the giant that nobody in Israel could conquer is now hiding in his castle and having people number his chariots, his horses, his men of war, his fighting men. He's numbering all that. Why? Because he's saying, God, you are no longer able to deliver the victory. I need to trust in my strength. And I'm telling you, it broke God's heart because God's not interested in our strength because he is greater than and we are less than. And so David finds himself in this separate pit. And we'll be weaving our way through that in the coming weeks. But today in Psalms 40 and verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, boy, there's a statement that's hard to process, isn't it? Almost an oxymoron, isn't it? Waiting and patiently. Should those two even come together? That's kind of like the last shall be first. It just doesn't make any sense in the natural For the Lord has inclined his heart to me, his ear to me, and he heard my cry, and he brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps, and put a new song in my heart, and my mouth, and praise to our God, and many will see it, and fear and trust in the Lord." When you read this, we understand that David did not have the happily ever after. And neither will you never have any adversity. Neither will you struggle. Neither will you not have any more struggle in your spiritual journey just because you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and now you're wanting to follow him. You see, if you're trusting God, if you're being obedient, if you're having faith in God, then you have to understand that it's not about your ability to climb out, but his ability to rescue you. I was telling someone not long ago, they found themselves in a pit of their own making, and I said, would you put down the shovel? Stop! Put the shovel down! Quit digging! The first thing to do when you find yourself in a pit And you can't get out and stop going deeper. Pretty simple advice, but it's amazing that it's so hard to do. Because we feel like everything depends upon us. It depends upon our effort. It depends upon our strength. It depends upon our might and our will and, and our unction. And we dig and we dig and we dig and we're putting forth all this energy. But many times we are going in the wrong direction. You know why people work so hard to dig deep? They keep digging because they're trying to save their face. They're trying to save the embarrassment. And they're trying to rescue themselves without having to ask for any help. When if they would just stop, put down the shovel, stop worrying about saving their face, then it would be a whole new meaning. Pretty good counsel here. I won't charge you any extra for it. It may offend some of you, so I'll give you a disclaimer in advance. 
But you can't save your face and your butt at the same time. That just happened. I just said that. But God's not worried about your buddies. Worry about your soul. And I want to ask you a question today. Are you waiting on God to deliver the miraculous? Or are you digging so hard you're trying to save yourself? The psalmist said, I waited patiently on the Lord. Now, here's the thing I understand about waiting. I'm terrible at it. Do you know anybody that's good at waiting? I don't. I don't know anybody that's good at waiting. I'm pretty rotten at it. And the psalmist says here, I waited patiently on the Lord. You know why we're terrible at waiting? Because we feel like waiting is being passive. We feel like if I'm waiting, I'm failing. I ought to be doing something. I mean, do you agree with that? That like, if, well, if I just got to wait, well, well. Just whistling away. I need to be doing something. I need, I, need, I need to be getting my hands on something. I need to be digging. I need to be clawing. I need to be scraping. I, I need to be. I need to be. But I got to wait. I got to wait on the Lord. I got to wait on the Lord. Pastor, the Bible says one day to us is a thousand years to God and a thousand years to God is one day to us and you want me to wait? The psalmist said, I waited patiently on the Lord. Do you know that biblical waiting is not passive, but it's aggressive? It's aggressive. And the problem is we have the wrong view of waiting. You see, we think it's passive because we're not doing anything. And you know, Pastor, the Bible says that the Lord won't help those who don't help themselves. Amazing where we get that stuff from, isn't it? And I've got to do this and I've got to put forth the effort. And, and, you know, I've got to make this happen. The problem is the things that are facing you in your life are so great that we don't have the ability to conquer them and we need God to conquer them. Your family needs God. Your business needs God. Your friends need God. Everything that you're involved in, it needs God. I'm telling you that life itself is greater than we are. Things come up all the time that we didn't expect or didn't anticipate. We have got to wait on the Lord. Waiting is not passive, but is very active. It is very aggressive. You see, waiting means that you're crying out to God. It means that you're trusting Him. It means that you're relying on Him. It means that you're obeying Him. It means that you're seeking Him. It means that you're rejoicing in the fact of Him. And the psalmist said, I found myself in a horrible pit, but I cried out to the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined His ear to me, and He heard my cry, and He brought me up. I love this right here. It says, he did one thing. He cried out. And then you know what God did? He heard. He listened to his cry. He pulled him up out of the horrible pit. He put his feet upon a solid rock. He established his steps and gave him a whole new pathway. And he put a brand new song in his heart. A brand new song in his heart. 
He may have went down, but he came up thinking, uh, singing a whole different song. See, waiting on the Lord means to wait patiently. And how do you wait patiently? The only way you can wait patiently is in prayer. Because if you quit praying, you're going to quit waiting patiently. <clears throat> Especially in this day and age that we live in. I kind of feel like I've, I'm a bubble. My generation was bubble children. Like we were, the, we were kind of the ones that were right there on the bubble. Like we could understand a little bit of what it was like before all the modern technology came along. Just a little bit. We caught just a little glimpse of, of it, you know. I mean, I could still remember having to walk up to McDonald's and not drive through it and sit inside it. And I could still remember there not being fast food restaurants all along the interstates or highways. And so, you know, man, you had to make it to another town or, or you had to stop for a sack lunch and a picnic. And, you know, I, I can remember when we got our first microwave. I know some of you can remember when you got your first telephone, but I, I can't. I, I don't remember that. But but look, I, I remember I remember the first microwave. I mean, this was cool. I mean, before that. I mean, we, we had a pop popcorn on the stove, and then they came out with this air popper, man. And it looked like this shooting. I mean, you put the popcorn in there, and hot air began to blow, and I mean, it just spewed popcorn everywhere. It's the most glorious thing for our little child. I didn't have to sit there and count the kernels popping. You, know, you remember the popcorn where you had literally would watch them dance as they were popping inside there? It, was, it took a while. But now we just slip it in the microwave and, and, and it's just done in about a minute and a half, two minutes. Leave it in too long and it's burnt. Don't ever, don't ever put your popcorn in the microwave for what it says on a packet. At least somebody's picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> just like that. Just like that, just like that, just like that, just like that. And so for us to wait in a society that wants instant gratification, we want it now. We don't want to say, I'm the world's worst. Look, I, I mean, our T-shirts should say, I will fail at waiting. Because I struggle with this, so I'm preaching to myself today. Matter of fact, I have all the... Out of all the sermons that we will preach over the next few weeks, this is probably the one that I deal with the, have the hardest time with. Because I feel like I need to go help God out. Don't look super spiritual at me. I know you've done that before. Well, the Lord didn't move when I thought he should, so I, let, me, let me help him. I know he's busy. I know he's caring for all the rest of the world. To wait patiently means that you're going to have to do that in prayer. You're going to have to say, God, I'm trusting your time. Lord, I'm trusting your ways. God, I'm trusting your thoughts. And God, I'm trusting that you know better than I do. The designer of my DNA, the one who knitted me together in my mother's womb, I'm trusting that you know more than me. Are you out there? Let me put it in perspective for you for just a moment. Do you know how long the ministry of Jesus lasted? About three and a half years. Do you know how long he trained for that three and a half years? His whole life. 30 years he was in training. For three years. We would look at that and say that's a failure. I mean, can we just not be super spiritual for a moment? If somebody trained for 30 years and they only cashed in on three and a half, you would say, wasn't very good planning. 
I mean, if somebody went to school and did 30 years worth of training and then they only, well, I don't, I'm, I'm out, three and a half years. But he waited, he waited, and he's made statements like this, it's not my time yet. My hour has not yet come. Because he knew he wasn't born to change water into wine. He knew he wasn't born to do the things in the natural, although they were course of the process of him getting to where he was. But the way he was born and he put on the robe of flesh so that he could glorify God. And the greatest way to glorify God was to finish the task that he sent him to do, which is to bridge the great divide and to take a hell-bound man, a man and woman, boy and girl, and transform them into the saint of God by the finished work of Calvary, by the death of burial and the resurrection can I get a witness in the house of God today Jesus said I will finish nevertheless not what I want but what your will is that's the little I Satan however in Isaiah says I'll make my throne above God's throne I'll be greater than God you have to do this patiently to wait you have to wait patiently. I will wait. If you're going to wait patiently, you've got to wait expectantly. Expecting. It's one thing to wait in rebellion, but to wait patiently. The only way you can wait patiently is if you know somebody in charge is greater than you are. It's going to put an expectation in your life that you know, that you know God's up to something. I, people ask me this question a lot. They'll say if it's a loved one that's struggling several weeks, maybe a month or two months, those last few days of their life will be such a struggle. And, 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 and you can almost always mark this down. They'll say, why is God leaving them here to suffer? And I've told him, I've said this many times, and it is almost always true. I said, well, it's not really about that person. Probably it's somebody in your family that's not ready. That God's doing a work in their life. And almost nine times out of ten, sure enough, by the time they pass, there's something that has been reconciled. Something that has been made right. And it's like this waiting process. And we think, God, God, what are you doing? But to wait expectantly will allow you to wait patiently because you're saying, I'm not just doing something. Look, this is how it's not passive. Because you are praying. And praying is not the least you can do. It is the most that you can do to lean into God, to trust God, to take God's word and say, Lord, this is what your word says. God, I'm praying your word, not your prayers, not what you've learned, not the prayers of man. And not things that you recite, not your some oh, I lay me down to sleep prayer, but where you grab a hold of the word of God and you're praying God's word and you're saying, Lord, your word says that you are my shepherd and I wouldn't want for anything. Lord, your word says that you would bring me by some green pastures and still waters. Lord, your word says that you would anoint my head with oil. Lord, your word says that you would put a table in the presence of my enemies. Lord, your word says that my cup would run over so much that I would have to drink from my saucer. 
are. Lord, your word says that when I'm hard pressed on every side, I would not be crushed. Lord, your word says that there is no principality. There is no power. There's nothing in my past. There's nothing in my future that can separate me from the love of God. Lord, your word says that when I am faithless, you are faithful. Lord, your word says that when I'm cast down, I'm not conquered. Lord, your word says, Lord, your word says, Lord, your word says, not what your preacher said, not what the Pope said, not what your denomination said, but what God said, thus saith the Lord. That will allow you to wait patiently. When you get antsy, take the word and say, Lord, here I am reporting in just what you said, Lord. I'm just reminding you, God, of what you said, what your promises are. Lord, you said your promises are yes and Lord, your word says that every jot and it well, let me move on. Waiting expectantly says, Lord, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the table. I'm waiting for the still waters. I'm waiting for the green pastures. Lord, I'm waiting for you to anoint my head with oil. Lord, I'm waiting. God, I'm waiting. I'm expecting it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, Lord. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting in you, God. I'm relying on you, God. Lord, you said, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. You see, we're, we're so jaded to being taken advantage of that we think God's going to rip us off. We've been taken advantage. We've been hijacked. We've been shafted. We've been manipulated. We've been ripped off so much by man that we put God in the same camp. But God says, I want you to wait expectantly. You say, well, how is that proactive? It means you're looking. Every day you're waking up and saying, okay, God, where's the answer coming from? It means if you're praying for, if it means if you're praying for rain, you're bringing an umbrella because you're expecting it to shower. It means if you're praying for money, you're checking your bank account. Means if you're praying for God to answer those needs, you're checking the mailbox. You're saying, okay, God, how's it going to work? How's it going to move? Lord, how are you going to do this? God, I don't understand. It means if you're, if you're sick and your, fa- your health is failing, it means you're checking the doctor's reports. It means you're waiting for them to say, it's all good, amen. I, do I need to give you more examples or are you picking up what I'm putting down? To wait expectantly. And if you're really hungry and you're really expecting God to do something, you're going to be doing some prayer and fasting. Now, I realize that fasting is a new concept to our modern world, but it has been around forever. And in the Old Testament, they did it. And they prayed and they fasted and they prayed and they fasted. They believed God. It means that you're desperate. It means, God, you're saying, Lord, I long for something so much that I'm looking for it. I'm looking down the horizon. What does it mean to be praying expectantly? The greatest example is in the book of Luke in chapter 15. It says that the father saw the son a long way off, a long way off. He didn't need a servant to come tell him, hey, there's a prodigal coming down the dusty road. He didn't need a handmaiden to come say, I believe that's your boy coming down the road. No, sir, because that dad passed by that road every day. Every day expecting because he was believing and he was waiting and he was trusting. I'll tell you something else. I believe that father with all of his power and all of his resources knew right where that son was. I believe he could have went and grabbed him by the ear and drug him home and said, what are you doing feeding pigs, son? What are you doing waiting around the slop of the world? Get your tail home. I, you can, look, I'll take care of you. Come back. No, 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 no. But that father said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. I will not short-circuit God's process. 
Can I just say something for a minute that's going to be a little tender around the edges? I believe that we want to rescue people from their consequences so much that in doing so, from bad decisions, that in doing so, you may very well be short-circuiting the very process of what God is trying to do in their life. I know you don't like it, but we need it. Because God's moving and he's moving on people. He has them as a vessel on the potter's wheel and he's shaping them and their vessel may be marred. But the Bible says in the book of Hosea that he would set that vessel again on the potter's wheel and to begin to apply water to it and loosen it up and to massage it and to perfect it into what he desires it to be. I'm telling you today, you may feel like you are sinking deep in sin. You may feel like you are in the horrible pit. I'm telling you today, quit this. Start trusting. Start praying. Start saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I quit clawing. I quit scratching. I quit grabbing. And Lord, I'm just going to sit here and wait, expecting you to do something. Well, the last thing is to wait faithfully, patiently, expectantly, and faithfully to wait in faith. I waited patiently on the Lord, and he inclined his ear to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up and set my feet upon the rock. And he was faithful when I was faithless. No greater example I look for a lot in human, in the human realm of recent days, but the greatest example of this is found in Abraham and Sarah. God came and said, you're going to have a child. And they laughed. And said, Lord, in case you don't know it, we're old. God's inclined to your age. I love when he came to Joshua at the end of the book of Joshua. And he said, Joshua, you're old. You know how you're old when God says you're old. But. There remains a lot left to be conquered. And he came to Abraham and he said, you're going to have a child. And some time passed by. And the child never came. And Sarah said, you know, Abraham, I believe God's right. But but we let's help him out. Why don't you take... Hagar, my handmaiden, and have a child with her. My womb's barren. And she did. And it was all right at first. But very shortly afterwards, Sarah began to despise Hagar. So much that years later, she sent Hagar away. And then then God came back and he said, Abraham, you're going to have that child I was telling you about. And Abraham's exact words was, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you forever. And, and God says, I, I know about Ishmael. I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going I'm to bless Ishmael. But that's your son. I'm talking about the miraculous one from you and Sarah. Sure enough, God moved and they conceived and gave birth to a boy named Isaac son of their old age 
they reached the point where they said, God needs my help. That's not the active waiting that he's talking about. The active waiting that he is talking about is a, a waiting that is looking, a waiting that is listening, and a waiting that is anticipating what God is doing. I, I'm going to share this testimony. Uh, I, uh, when I started, I found this just this week, and I was reminded of it. In fact, some of our staff mocked it and ridiculed it, but I said, you got to remember this was 11 years ago, and they were laughing at my clip art that I had. It was the first presentation I'd ever made about Family of Grace. And uh, it was interesting, and uh, it so spoke to my heart because I saw so many things on that clip art that it took a long time but yet came into fulfillment. If you're not familiar with Family of Grace, when we planted this church here and we bought the property, there was a off-track betting next door, an adult video store across the street, and a strip joint across the other highway, and, 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 and then also... Uh, they're just bars and different things in the area. And uh, I felt that God wanted Family of Grace to have a large impact in the biker culture. And uh, on that paper, I wrote the word bruisers on that paper out to the side. And I said, Lord, one day I want you to give me a Bible study in that bar so I can minister to bikers. And so I just, man, it was making no headway, but I kept going back to that. I said, but Lord, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm praying for. And one day, Pastor Ralph left the traditional ministry, and they started this ministry called the priesthood, he and Brother Daryl. And they came down here to make a presentation. I said, well, man, I love biker ministry. I've been praying for God to let us do something with that. Why don't you come make a presentation? And that was so many years ago, I can't even count. They came, basically never left. And, and God allowed us to start ministering to people in that cultural group. And so, if you're familiar with that, and we've done this here, uh, you know, every six weeks, if, if they fly a, fly a patch or something, and all those clubs meet in Alexandria. And, and, and they were meeting at Bruisers originally, or another name, maybe changed names or something by that point. I just kept saying, Lord, I really want to make an impact. And he said, just keep waiting. Just keep trusting me and see if I won't do something. And so last year, Pastor Ralph and Darrell came to me and said, hey, hey, do you mind if we do something with that coalition of clubs? And do you know where the, all those bikers now meet at every six weeks? Not at the biker bar, but at the South Campus. See, Sometimes you just got to wait on God. And I looked at that paper and I was reminded that about that bruisers there just this week. And I just chuckled and laughed at God. Because when God does something, I know why Sarah laughed. Because it's so amazing, it's humorous. And I thought about that and I said, wow, the person who used to own that bar is now connected to us and our family. And you know what, God, thank you that I didn't try to make that happen in my flesh. But I just waited and trusted you. You see, when I was walking through a dark time in my life, a guy called me on the phone. Matter of fact, I was going to a counseling session. Head to Lafayette. And he called me and he said, I got a word for you. 
He said, I don't know why God told me to tell you this. He said, but, he said, when you can't see God doing something, it's when he's doing the most. And he said, I don't know why he called me to tell you that. Told me to tell you that. And I thought about that. I know you've seen the sunset and you've seen the sun rise, but you have never witnessed the world turning. You never walked out on your porch and said, well, I'm just going to come out here today and watch the world turn. But is it turning? So much that you can set your clock by it and your calendar by it. And it is in perfect rotation, God holding this whole thing in the orbit. If he tilted it one way too much, we would freeze. If we went the other way too much, we would burn up. But he holds it right there in the perfect position. And God says, I want you to wait on me. I want you to wait prayerfully. I want you to wait faithfully. I want you to wait patiently. I want you to wait expectantly. And I want you to be I believe that God is on the verge of answering a lot of our prayers, but we quit because he doesn't do it in our due season. We're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting out of the model of Daniel. Daniel prayed for 21 days. You know why he quit praying on the 21st day? Because God showed up and answered his prayer. He said, Daniel, I heard you on the first day, but I've been wrestling with the prince of Persia to get you the answer. He's been resisting me. Don't you give up. It took Jesus 30 years to prepare for three. I know it's hard in the natural because we're racing against the clock. And the older we get, the more anxious we get. And the more we want to do, the more we want to help God. We want to pick it up and say, Lord, help. Let me, let me, let me, let me help you, Lord. I know you're busy. Let me help, let me. Don't look at me like I'm the only one ever tried to help God out. But today, some of you are struggling because you find yourself in that horrible pit and you don't know how to get out. The sides are filled with claw marks, a spades in the bottom of it, or maybe you're digging out with your hands and you're fiddling in the miry clay and God's just wanting you to stop digging and start trusting. And say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. God will move heaven and earth to get you to where he needs to be. If you don't believe me, he moved the whole nation of Israel to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. And God doesn't need strength. He doesn't need might. Matter of fact, he doesn't delight in it. I know waiting's terrible, but the Bible says in Isaiah 40 and 31, For those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. God does not delight in the strength of horses or armies or chariots, but he delights in himself. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. Can you just say that with me for a moment? Now unto him who is able. Say that. Him who is able. Say it like you believe it. Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. According to the power and the riches and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Some of you have been praying. You, you never quit praying. You never quit praying until God says to quit. More than likely, he's not going to do it the way you thought he was going to do it. It's going to be so much better than. 
See, what God told me is, son, you don't have to go to them. You don't have to go to them. I'm going to create a way to bring them to where you are. I just need you to go and be faithful. Will you wait? Will you wait on the promise? Please don't, please don't take the potter off the vessel off the wheel before the potter is finished with the potter. Some of you have already been refashioned, and now he's placed you into the kiln to harden you, and the fire is hot. And you think, boy, God doesn't love me. I'm walking through the fire. I'm walking through the trials. Maybe he's just hardening you so that you won't crack under pressure. Don't get out of the kiln. Don't jump out of the fire because the fire is what perfects you. They called it the purifying fire, the hardening fire, the perfecting fire. Maybe God's got you right where you are today because he's trying to perfect something in your life that you can't experience. Father, in Jesus' name, have your way.